Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Great Minnesota Get-Together is almost here. While you're making your state fair plans, be sure to add 1,500 ESPN to your list. Swing by our booth on the corner of Dan Patch and Chambers and watch your favorite shows broadcast live from the front porch and check out the new merchandise in the Pro Shop. More details can be found at 1500ESPN.com. Thank you, James Murphy, Mackie, and Judd, which uh, for the remainder of today's program is Zolgad and Darren Doogie Wolfson. Chris Singleton, ESPN Radio, Sunday Night Baseball Analyst Extraordinaire, joins at 11.30 for his weekly uh, chat with us. Matthew Collar in the noon hour to talk uh, Vikings and preview that all, all important. I can't wait for it. Jaguars and Vikings matchup at noon tomorrow. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on the Wolves, and I want to get your thoughts on the latest... Um, I believe it was Instagram missive from Jimmy Butler in which he put, he put out a picture of him and his agent and his chef and personal trainer, I think. And he's in the for, he's in the foreground of the picture looking all tough and mean and, you know, staring at the camera and the guys behind him look lost and he makes fun of them. And then a fan chimed in with what, why don't you lead guys? Like I believe, I believe he said towns and Wiggins and Jimmy said, I'm a grown bleep man and gave it back to the fan and said they have to lead themselves and all of this. And I guess my question is this. With all of the things that Jimmy has put out there on social media, Darren, in the past few months, um, why can't he just play nice here? Like, what's the point? Yeah, I'm just I'm looking at it right now on Instagram. Yeah, so, yeah, one job of a leader is to show the lost ones the way. Every last one of these idiots behind me look hella lost, SMH. Shake my head. Yeah, his, so yeah, it's his buddies. It's his chef. It's Bernie Lee, his agent. It's Chris Johnson, his trainer. So he's poking fun at friends. Yep. So then D Thomas, some random on his feed. So show towns and wigs the way. Then instead of crying about them, Jimmy Butler, who is incredibly active, credit to him, he's incredibly active on Instagram. Not so much Twitter. Yeah. But Instagram. Yes. Chimes back to D Thomas. I don't cry about, can't say that word on the air, on terrestrial radio, bleep. I'm a grown bleep man. You show them since you have the answers. So yeah, now we're trying to decipher what exactly does he mean? And I don't know. Jimmy, Jimmy's an odd duck. You think? So is this just him having some fun? Is there real meaning behind that? Now, what we do know is there has been a disconnect in the past Yeah, between Jimmy and Towns and, to a degree, Wiggins. The three of them, to suggest the three of them are on the same page is 
Not true. It's laughable. But it's possible at some point here this summer, the minds got together and had adult conversations. I don't know that. I've been trying to figure that out. Do you think that? No, I don't. Let's speculate here. What the hell? No, because if Towns, for example, if Towns and Tibbs had that adult conversation that needs to take place, presumably will take place at some point before training camp. So sometime in the next three, four, five weeks. A lot of guys will be back here working out after Labor Day. In fact, I know, just talking to James Nunnally, the newest signee the other day on the podcast, he'll be back in town. He's either back in town for workouts now or next week. So Mm -hmm. there's some guys in town now. A majority of guys will be back working out at Mayo Clinic Square after Labor Day. Mm -hmm. So presumably that will be towns. So at some point, if it hasn't already happened... And I don't know. Maybe it has. Tibbs and Towns will have that adult conversation. But here's what I'll say. If that conversation had taken place, I do believe that Towns would have signed his max extension already. And I still think he will. What's that conversation? If I had to bet, What's that conversation? he's signing the extension. What's that conversation going to look like? And and will it involve Butler? Because the disconnect to me is not just it's not a Tibbs Towns only disconnect. I think there's I think there's a definite disconnect with Butler Towns, Tibbs Towns, not Butler Tibbs. But like what's this all going to look like? Do you I think, think it needs to be multiple conversations. I think Tibbs and Towns need to have a conversation. But then yes, maybe even Tibbs isn't in the room, but Butler Towns. Then Butler Towns Wiggins. But you keep in mind that Tibbs, yeah, during a game against the LA Clippers, I think it was last January, it doesn't matter when it was, December, January, early February. He called Towns a mother bleeper. It was loud. It was picked up on at least the Clippers telecast. For what? For a defensive miscue? Yeah, a miscue, something. No, it wasn't a lack of hustle. Okay. And trust me, that's a knock on Towns at times. Yeah, defensively, I know it is. But it was it was more a mental miscue. It's on YouTube. If you if you go to YouTube, put in Tibbs yelling at Towns, something like that, you can find the clip. All right. Do you do that? And if he's doing that during a game with everybody watching, and I've told you, I've actually heard that Tibbs is, he's not a maniac in practice. I was told that he's toned things down. I was told that during his first year. He's not the maniac that he he was in Chicago. That he actually was teaching in practice. Correct. And not screaming and yelling. But to answer your question, but to answer your question, if he's willing to do that, in a game to answer that question, what does he what does he say to Towns at different points during practice? I don't do that to him. Not in 2018. Not with athletes now. Listen, I'm sure the old school people are all like, he deserves to do it. But in this league, to get maximum effort out of how, how guys, and like it or not, how they're wired now, and what they see from lots of really good coaches, D'Antoni, Steve Kerr, guys like that, I do not. those words do not cross my lips when it comes to my superstar player. No, I don't do that. I think the most important job of an NBA coach today and don't get me wrong, X's and O's matter. You know, breaking down film, coming up with a game plan to attack different opponents on a nightly basis, that matters. But I firmly believe that massaging egos, no, connecting right. yes. with players, yes. is the most important thing a head coach can do. Mm-hmm. I really believe that. Mm-hmm. And do we believe that Tibbs has that personal connection with every guy on that roster? No. 
Jimmy, yes. But, but Taj, okay. yes. Let, Derek Rose, okay. yes. But let me when Joe Kim Noah or if Joe Kim Noah yeah, signs you know with the yeah, Wolves here in yeah, about three, four weeks, no. yes, no, don't go there. But the entire well, they still but have an opening, you, and the Knicks are going to wave but can stretch I give you, but, but, but everybody, can I give you no way? Can I give you what my problem is if I'm Towns among my problems? Because I probably got a few of gripes. Here's my problem: the relationships that Tom seems to have with his players, though, like with Butler. In press conference settings last year, and I'm going from from how I, I'm reading things, okay? So I'm not going I'm not I'm not saying the exact answer reflected what I'm about to tell you. It's almost like Butler and Tibbs are on the same are on the same um plane. Oh, absolutely. But I mean yes. but if I'm Carl Anthony Towns and I'm a young man, but I'm really good, and you know what? I got I got faults. I, I get that. I got, I can improve. But I am an all-star player at a young age. And I am a future MVP, I do believe. And I look at my head coach being asked a question about Jimmy Butler, self-made man, good for him, all-star, fantastic, not putting him down. And it's almost this reverential, I'm deferring, I can't even... There were times when Tibbs was asked questions about Butler where I thought he he's not going to give a real answer here because if he gives what Butler deems to be the wrong answer, Tibbs is going to be in trouble with Butler. That's how I felt about it. Like the deferring was like this is not this isn't a healthy relationship either. So if I'm Towns, I'm saying to myself, bleep this. Like this guy's if this guy's going to call me a mf during the course of a game loud enough for the rest of the world to hear, and it's going to be on YouTube. And Jimmy Butler, who does not have the talent that Towns does, he's a self-made really good basketball player, is going to be deferred to. Forget that. Forget that. And here's my other huge gripe. This offseason with the progression of this franchise should have been talking about how do they get the most from one guy, Andrew Wiggins. Like the offseason talkers that we have right now should be, what can Wiggins do? Are they going to be able to get it right? He's a forgotten man. Like he's out of this now because our conversations are Tibbs, Butler, and Towns. Butler and Towns should be givens. And they are primary discussion points because we don't know if they've got that right as far as the relationship goes. Here's where it's a slippery slope. We have no idea if one year from now, whether Jimmy Butler will be here. Even this week. Now, it's media-driven, but it's ESPN. It's ESPN.com. Speculating about Kyrie Irving and Jimmy Butler playing together next year. Jimmy's doing nothing to shoot it down. Half the league will have really good cap space. If Kyrie and Jimmy want to be teammates, they'll have multiple places they can be teammates. Whether it's Brooklyn, New York, there's other spots. I'm with you. Or LeBron and Jimmy. Sure. Yeah, the I Lakers mean, will have cap space a year from now. The, yes. Lakers, the Lakers are putting together what amounts to a fake roster for Sure. I mean, I think, I think they really want Kawhi Leonard. Sure, but I'm, Leonard but won't I'm just be saying, in Toronto they, they, beyond the year. They are, creating, they are creating complete outs, basically. A lot of outs after Well, sure. 18, yeah, I mean, they signed and, all those guys. And Rondo and Beasley and all those guys but, to one-year deals. But Jimmy, yeah. Jimmy's doing nothing to lead us down the path of he has any interest in being here. And he's coached by a guy that almost defers to him that I think, I don't think trading him is, even in Tibbs' wildest dreams, enters the equation. No, but... If somebody else was running the organization, wouldn't you need to have those conversations? Now, here's why I will defend Tibbs. There's no way that Tibbs has been led to believe he is super close to Jimmy's agent, Bernie Lee. 
He talks or communicates with Jimmy darn near daily. Maybe it's text messaging, but they communicate all the time. Tibbs has never once been led to believe that Jimmy doesn't want to be here a year from now. But certainly, Jimmy hasn't committed. Now, I get it. From a logical standpoint, there was no reason for him to sign the four-year, $110 million extension. Yeah, we all get that. He can make a ton more money based on service time waiting a year. Correct. But still, didn't that conversation need to take place when you extended the offer? Does Jimmy want to be here long term? And I don't think Tibbs has been led to believe that Jimmy wants to be here. It's there's an indifference there. Tibbs doesn't know. Yep. So Tibbs is just betting on himself, his relationship with Jimmy, saying, Okay, we can re sign Jimmy a year from now. And hey, we can pay him fifty more fifty million more dollars. Right. So that will help too. But is he prepared for the consequence of the Butler camp saying see you Correct. Later. And that to me is as fascinating as anything when it comes to this team's dynamic. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Just hold your ass right there. On 1500 ESPN. And Judd is a Doogie and Zolgad for the remainder of today's show. Chris Singleton, uh, Singy Tweets, who does a great job on Sunday Night Baseball, which you can hear right here on the station on the radio, joins us at 1130. Tell me about the Irvin Santana Castellanos uh, dust-up last night. I will, although continuing the Wolves yeah. talk for just a second. How sure. symbolic is this? I just noticed, to my left... The broken Andrew Wiggins? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's been like that for months. It, it was actually mine, and it came... But yeah, the it, Wiggins it bobblehead. Bro- it came he's broken. Just, yeah, he's laying there. But I mean, that's, that's, so, that's uh, sort of the summarization of the state of the franchise. Yes. It's just sort of broken. Which, coming off... The first playoff appearance in 14 years. I know. Everything should be celebrated right now about the Wolves. I know. And this is a good basketball. Seriously, and, and this, hold hands, sing kumbaya. And this can be a it good should be so much town. fun right now. Between and the it Wolves, was. Hey, all I want between the Wolves and go for you basketball. You go back to the 03-04 season, the block parties in downtown oh, yeah. Minneapolis yeah, before the games against the Lakers, the Western Conference Finals. This absolutely, this metropolitan area, if you want to go with the idea that As a state, state of hockey, whatever. Yep. Fine. In the metropolitan area, I will die on this hill. Basketball is more popular than hockey. All you need to know, all you need to look at is when Gopher basketball was good, the ratings were through the roof. Mm -hmm. And that's all all I want is the Gophers or Wolves to be good. I really like the Gophers to be good because, as I've said to the point of it's gotten old by now, but... When Gopher basketball is good, that building is the greatest building on the face of the earth. And when they're bad, it's just a dingy old barn. I agree. I'd love for them to get to the point where they can get some of these one-and-done kids from the state. Matthew Hurt, Jalen Suggs, Gary Trent Jr. going back a year Instead, or two. they always get the sibling. And they're just, they're not, you know. Yes, ja- yes James, what's up? Basketball's my favorite sport. I'm 24 years old, and... It's been nothing but just mediocre to really bad teams between the Gophers and the Timberwolves. Like my my greatest moments that I can think of involve like Trevor and Bakwe and Rodney Williams. Like I really enjoyed those teams. That's the best thing I can other than like this this minor pop up of the Wolves lately. And I mean I was pretty young in two thousand three four, but. I mean, I remember that. I, I just my, like I, I loved Michael Beasley, and and I mean, I'm sorry, I loved uh, Latrell Sprewell. I loved Kevin Garnett, obviously. But I, you know, the the best moments for me are those mediocre Gopher teams that I can you know think of. I mean, here's the problem with mediocrity, though. I mean, I'd even argue it's below mediocrity. They have 
one NCAA tournament win since 1998. We all remember it doesn't exist in the record books, but... Right? Yes. They fired Tubby right after that. Tubby Smith and the Gophers beat Shabazz Muhammad in UCLA. I know. It was late on a Friday night. It was like a 10 o'clock central tip-off, so... Most people don't even remember I because a, it was so late. I was at a hockey game that night, went across the street to the Liffey Bar to watch the rest of that game. Yeah, so I they win it. that game, yep. then lose a couple days later to Florida in the round of 32. Then Tubby Smith was fired soon thereafter. That is the only NCAA tournament win for the Gophers since 1998. Mm-hmm. When was the last time the Gophers had a player drafted? Chris Humphreys. Humphreys. Chris Humphreys. Yeah. When was that? I, was, I covered three oh four. I covered his draft party for the Star Tribune fourteen years ago. Yes. How pathetic is that? I know, <laughs> and it makes me really sad. And it's my alma mater. It, it, and I'm with you when the barn is rocking. It makes me sad. It's my favorite venue in town to watch a game. But I'm just saying, get yes. to the point of being able to get some of these kids. Now, I'll tell you this much: getting the kid from Creighton, Oturu, that was a big time recruiting win. I don't think he's a one and done. That was a big-time recruiting win. Yeah. Credit to Patino and certainly Ben Johnson, who's now gone. Getting Amir coffee. You got lucky there with Fred Hoiberg leaving Iowa State. But you got Amir a couple years ago. So you've had some recruiting wins. So to sit here and to suggest that they haven't won some recruiting battles would be ludicrous. Mm-hmm. But they just they have no chance at the best of the best. And I just, I'd love for this program at some point in time. It might be 10 years from now. Heck, it might not even be in my lifetime, but to get to the point of being able to realistically have a shot at the big, big timers. That's all I'm asking. I'm just so, and I, I listen, I'm not surprised, but I am a little distressed by the amount of letdown in this town of late when we expect things, right? Like last golf for basketball season, coming off the year that they were. I'm saying to myself, this could be fun. And all I want is fun. That's all I want. I, I'm not asking for banners. I'm not asking for titles. I'm not asking for awards for players or coaches. All I want is fun. It God, was fun Mr. early. Fun. And Dawn and the I the win at Providence Dawn, was fun. And Dawn and I went to the Miami game. I was there. It was packed. That was great. It was fun. Mm-hmm. And I said to myself, "Damn it! This is what I remember. This is what we used to when I, when when I paid a hundred bucks a piece for." The wife and I had to go see Robert Tractor Trailer in Michigan come into the barn, and we got obstructed seats, and we paid way too much, $200. But it was so much fun, and I was at that Miami game in the upper deck with the wife, and I said, this is it. This is what we remember. This is great. Mm-hmm. And then, wait, hold on a second. Bang. Gone. It was all in the course of a couple days, right? Reggie Lynch yep. is off the court. Issues. Yep. Amir Coffey messes up his shoulder. Stupidly was brought back for a couple games like two weeks later. In the Garden. It was the same injury, though. Yeah, he came back for that January 20th game at the Garden against Ohio State. Then played against Northwestern a couple days later. Then they claimed he re-injured the shoulder. It was the same injury as before. He should have never been brought back in the first place. But yes, it was all in the span of a few days. Lynch gone. Coffey hurt. Season derailed. Completely. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, not even season now, not competitive. Well, and don't forget that Eric Curry, preseason, tears his ACL. Really good player. 
You know, so maybe yeah, that, maybe that, we should have realized then, right? Which is which when is why Curry went down that uh oh, which is why we when, think they have depth, but they really why, don't have. Which depth. is why when the interior, the offensive line for the Vikings, things start to go wrong in training camp and mm-hmm. or before, I am hesitant. You know, you get the fans being like, "Oh, Zolga, typical. You're so negative. This is why. This is why I love different people in this town because you are just a bleep hole." Well, it's hard not to be. Some of those people are right, but it's hard. Not, it's hard not to be. It's hard not to look at Pat Elfline and then Easton gets hurt. And I know he's not a Hall Elfline of Famer. will be back. I'm telling you, okay, he's going to be back. I'm just saying it's hard not to look at that whole thing and be like, uh oh, because right, well, you're right about Curry. I dismiss that. I'm like, well, this hurts, but ah, it's fine. No, that was in hindsight, that was a big loss. But, but how many times do we have to come back and say, in hindsight, before we say, let's not dismiss things as they happen. Let's take. This doesn't mean. I don't want the teams to do well. It's better for you. It's better for James Murphy. It's better for everyone. For me, if these teams succeed, our ratings are better. More newspapers are sold. More newscasts are watched, right? So ultimately, am I rooting for the success of these teams? Yes. Yes, it's better. But you can only dismiss this stuff so many times before you're like, I've dismissed it and I'm an idiot for doing that. All right, well, on the Wolves, Jimmy Butler has this supposed minor hand surgery. That's what I've been told. Maybe that's a bigger deal. Maybe we need to dig a little bit more on the Butler hand surgery to bring this full circle because you started the segment, you know, asking about what Irvin Santana. Yep. We'll get to Santana and his. We'll do that after Singleton. Yeah, that's fine because Castellanos bat flip home run early last night. Then Santana, Castellanos' next at bat sent a message. It was, it was idiotic. It really was. But I'm bringing it full circle. You go back to, to the winter. Then to spring training, Santana, finger injury, Jorge Polanco. I know, suspension. Suspension. I know. know. Maybe, using your favorite buzzword, hindsight, maybe we should have realized in March that this twin season would be a disaster. And Sano showed up fat, and a lot of people, I I was... He did, but remember, he had the surgery. I know, but but I heard the old thing, well, what's he going to do? But that was another another red flag. Miguel Sano, serious off-season surgery. But it's 2018, dude. You don't have to sit on the couch and eat bonbons because you you had your your leg operated on. You can still go work with a trainer. Like, you could have gone to Fort Myers and been like, whatever I have to do, let's just do that. I can stay in some semblance of shape. You don't have to sit on the couch, show up fat for spring training, and be like, nothing I could do. That's not true. Anyway, I'm just saying there's just too many times I dism- I do dismiss things myself. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, if I had just taken it seriously, I might not feel like such a moron. Chris Singleton, ESPN Sunday Night Baseball, joins next. Don't go anywhere. Assume the position. More Mackie and Judd coming up next on 1500 ESPN. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. If you two are finished comparing sizes. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Mackey and Judd are talking twins now. With former player turned ESPN baseball analyst Chris Singleton. Right. He's hit three home runs. You got to hit him. I'm sorry. I mean, people are not going to like that. You know, you got to hit him, knock him down. At least, I mean, seriously knock him down if you don't hit him. And you never throw at anybody's head. You never throw at anybody's head or neck. You you hit him in the back. You hit him in the fanny. Chris Singleton, where where do I even start on the Okuna being dripped? But how can Keith? That's what I'm saying. How can Keith Hernandez say that? And and I I grew up watching Keith. I really like Keith. I, I, I like him now, but I mean, let's just start there because th- this is your job too. How can an yeah. announcer even say that? 
Yeah, man, that's, you know, we, we have, I think, seen over the last few weeks, you know, some announcers kind of, you know, just in, in respectfully, but just showing, you know, their era, their age, their, their opinion. And it, it does, you know, it comes off of, you know, get off my lawn type of thing. This is how, you know, it was, this is the way it's supposed to be, but you know, the game has changed and it's different. And the wild, wild west that we sort of had before, that doesn't exist anymore. And it really bothers me, not just with, you know, announcers, but even with, you know, teams. And sometimes you hear, you know, managers and teams that get upset because that was a good baseball play. That was a really good slide. Well, yeah, it was 10 years ago, but the rules have changed. So you have to go into the bag. You can't veer off to take out a guy. And I just, it just bothers me when people stay stuck in, this is how it used to be, or this is the way that you played the game, when some of it doesn't make sense, but the game is played differently now. So, uh, you know, I, I respectfully disagree uh, with that opinion. My, my opinion is this. You can't get a guy out and make better pitches. That's all. That's what you need mm-hmm. to do as a pitcher. Now, a better pitch, hey, as a player, maybe, you know, the, the, the rare time that I was hot, and, yeah, you know what, it got tightened up on the inside part of the plate, but... You know, those were the good pitchers that understood how to pitch. I remember facing Roger Clemens, where, man, he, he'd turn up the heat on the inside part of the plate, and that's a good pitch. That's a competitive pitch. But when you're talking about I've got to hit a guy or I've got to knock him down because he's better than I am right now, that's a whole other issue. And I think it's the mindset that baseball's had for a long time. Just because it's been that way for a long time, don't make it right. Why, though, did that mindset ever exist? Chris, it is stupid. And then for Keith, who I like, I'm with Judd, by the way, Chris. I actually think Keith does a really good job for SNY. I really enjoy his analysis. I do. But on this particular one, I just, I mean, and to say hitting a guy in the fanny or in the back, you can still do serious damage to a guy, even if you aren't going head hunting. To hit a guy on purpose, I just, I don't care if it's 1980, 1970, 1990, today. Chris, I just, I don't understand the mindset at all. Well, how about this? Okay, so, you know, Chipper Jones had a great tweet, and he said, hey, Jacob DeGrom, because he's pitching so well, you know, should he get hit? Yep. Somebody hit him because he's pitching so well, or should a pitcher or should a hitter? I'm going to kind of let go of my bat and let it go, you know, back up the box, and uh, he's pitching too well. I got to get, you know, make him uncomfortable, so I'm going to throw an object at him. I mean, how does, how, how does that play? That, that just doesn't make sense. And anybody, it doesn't even take a player who stood in the box, but – even more so a player that stood in the box, as Keith has, as I have. And I understand Keith played in a different era, played in a different market and everything else um, in terms of the intensity there, but it's never fun when baseballs start flying all over the place. And, you, and they're flying all over the place because there's intent to knock guys down or hit guys, especially in a day and age where not as many pitchers know where it's going perhaps like they did before. You know, control and command, mm-hmm. maybe not being quite as, as – as precise as it was before that's that's sort of a scary thought how also uh so it, it came out yesterday jose urena who threw this pitch got six games how do you just get six games i mean i would have given him three weeks to a month but this is and and he, here's what i really don't get chris and what frustrates me about this and you, you've brought this up a couple times too is 
listen, if you're Clemens and you can, and Chris Singleton's at the plate, and you can throw a pitch basically towards your rib cage, but it's not going to hit you, and you've got that pinpoint control, okay, that's fine. But the irresponsibility here is this kid has no control. I think it was a purpose pitch, and you hit a star young player who people pay a lot to see in the elbow, and you could have fractured it. So, to me, six games is ridiculously low. Yeah, yeah. see, and here's where, you know, I'm off, and I had to check with a colleague yesterday when I was, you know, flying home from doing a Philly, you know, Red Sox-Philly game Wednesday night, but, you know, I was on the air when all this happened, um, so I had to catch the highlights later, but in looking at the highlights, and this is where everybody's probably going to say, you know, I'm crazy, but I wasn't the only one. I didn't believe that he hit Acuna on purpose. I really believe it was a case of you're the wrong, you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, and you're the wrong person. When you look at Arena, he he's tied for the lead in the National League and hit you know hit batters. Okay, you look at the pitch, and it just doesn't. His response afterwards, even walking down the mound to ask Acuna if he was okay. Never being fired up of, hey, I want a piece of you or there's something going down. Like those things to me, like I, I really had to look into it because I'm like, man, I don't know that this guy really hit Acuna on purpose. And when you think about it, it looks awful. And if I'm mm-hmm. a broadcaster for the Braves or I'm, you're absolutely in the moment and you're saying, yes, this is, you know, Bush League, blah, blah, blah. I totally get it. I've been there before. But trying to look objectively, I don't believe that he did it on purpose. I don't think the kid has command. I think when you look at the true, the two seamer that he threw, it ran in really hard. He doesn't have that kind of control to start it in that part of the plate and keep it on the inside part of the plate. It's going to run in. That's his mistake. Um, but I also think about this. If, if he did hit Acuna on purpose, then he's most likely the dumbest player like in the major leagues right now, because in the first inning there, you're going to be guaranteed to get two at-bats as long as you pitch decently. So why would you subject yourself to the fact of taking one in the ear hole um, because you're going to come up to hit? And that just doesn't make sense to me. And maybe much doesn't make sense for him. I don't know him. I'm not, I, have no, I know nothing about it. But I just don't think that that was the intent. And I know everybody else, 95% of the people think it was. I just think it was really awful timing. And we've all... It's somewhere or another in our lives have been in a situation where our intentions weren't bad, but it was awful timing and it was the wrong place and it came off to be something much more than it really was. I'm in that 95% boat, so I'll admit that, Chris. But to me, what was interesting was the catcher didn't react, right? I mean, wouldn't the catcher, unless the pitcher just did, unless he's that moronic, did it completely on his own. But typically, correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, wouldn't the catcher have some working knowledge that you were going to intentionally hit the batter, then the catcher would instantly pop up, knowing that all hell could break loose. In this instance, the Marlins catcher did not instantly pop up. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, well, to me, the way I would interpret that is, wow, it it wasn't planned. It wasn't talked about. So on one end, hey, it got away from him. Or on the other end, the pitcher just did something on his own. So to me, it's got to be, you know, one of the two. Um, I mean, you think about the Buster Posey and Hunter Strickland thing. I mean, Buster Posey never moved, um, you know, in that whole situation. I don't know how you want to interpret that in comparison to this, but that's another case as well where Posey never moved. And uh, Bryce was Harper too, was on Chris. his way out there. Um, 
Yeah, so, you know, we're never going to know. Obviously, we, you know, we are that court of public opinion, and we are going to jump on what everything looks like and basically make our judgment there. But I'm just not, I'm not, I can't say 100% that he didn't hit him, but I can't say that I strongly believe that he did hit him on purpose. So, uh... We, we've t- talked about this, though. Baseball's changing, evolving. Uh, things are certainly different from w- when we were kids. And and I think we all have this conversation wanting the game to thrive. And if that means things has to have to change, Chris, I think that's fine. So explain this to me. Why in 2018 is it still accepted that if a guy gets hit or there's a dust-up, that the benches can clear, that the bullpens can come in. I mean, we talk about pace of play and speeding up the game and making it more exciting, and yet we still have this old-school 1960s and 70s mentality where if some, if there's a dust-up, everybody comes on the field. I don't get that now. Yeah, and one, I think if you start saying, okay, you leave your post, you're going to be suspended yep, or you're going to be fine, and all of a sudden it creates – I mean, if you started looking at all of the, the, the domino effect of that, it would create a transactional nightmare if, all right, now we've got a, you know, guys suspended for a game for leaving the bullpens or, you know, leaving their position, um, you know, all that stuff. So I don't, I don't know. I just think it's just a tradition and it's been there for a long time. And, um, yeah, I mean, my thought is that, okay, we'll just go NHL style, really. I mean, I've been part of those things in the past and it's, it's one of those things where why are, sometimes you're almost, why are we here? Um, you know, that situation, I can totally understand why the Braves are out there because you're looking and interpreting it. Hey, our hottest guy, you just hit him. And so we're protecting him. But there's sometimes where, you know, it's a situation where what's really going on? So my thing is go NHL. Let the two individuals handle it. Mm-hmm. Everybody stay where you're at. These two guys, if they really want a piece of each other, mm-hmm. let them take care of it. Um, hey, we can, you know, go to somewhere, a kid eating ice cream in the stands if we don't want to show it on television or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But see what happens then. I mean, and I think that would probably cause a lot of this to, to kind of quiet down because in most cases, you know, all of the pushing and shoving around is really for not. I mean, it's not that guys really want to do anything. That would be interesting. Chris, continuing the Braves theme, but I'll, I'll dance away from the shenanigans of the other night. I was just looking at Nick Markakis' uh, stats line for this year. How yeah. how much do we not appreciate, and maybe it's just us here in the Twin Cities, we're not paying a whole lot of attention back in the day to the Orioles or to now the Braves, but Markakis, how underrated is he? How underappreciated is he? I mean, he's what now, 34, 35? I, just, I didn't realize how brilliant he's been this year. And really, if you look at the totality of his career, how brilliant he's been. So how much do we underappreciate Nick Markakis? I think because of the fact that he's rarely been on, you know, winning teams, like, you know, a, a postseason type of championship type of team, um, he's underappreciated because he's a, you know, he's a supporting player. He's, he's not a, he's not a carry the team type of player in a way. You look at his slugging percentage and, you know, and all that um, for a right fielder, you know he doesn't he he doesn't have the the power there, but he's a steady hitter. He's a guy that hits. He's he's you know he's kind of like a like Joe Maurer, I guess you'd say in a lot of ways. I mean he's steady. He's he you look up and you're like wow look at what he's you know compiled over all this time. But in, in and of himself, 
he can't carry a team and put that team on his back. And, and also beyond just that, he's the quietest guy, you know, perhaps in the major leagues. I mean, I talked to him a few weeks back right before the all-star game and, uh, Man, I was happy to get a few sentences out of him just in terms of, you know, the excitement of, of being able to be there and, you know, what was going to be the most exciting thing for him and him, you know, having his boys there, being able to see it. But there's not much you get from Nick Markakis. So any type of personality or flavor that would help, you know, bring good attention to the brand, if you will, or the player, you know, that doesn't exist for him. He's a guy that's very content with coming to work, you know, his hard hat, lunch pail, doing his job and going home. Um, so I think that's probably part of why, um, you know, we don't really know much, you know, by and large across the baseball uh, baseball world. Chris, last one from us. Both West races are interesting, but in particular, American League West. I'm looking at the standings. The A's are two games back of Houston. Seattle is four and a half games back. How do you handicap the race there in the American League West? Do you give the A's and or Mariners much of a chance to catch Houston? Well, when you look at how the A's have been playing, I mean, they've been a franchise that's been known over the years to get hot and go on unbelievable runs. And, you know, I was an A in 2003, and, you know, I was part of a team that mid-August or so, we were six games back of the Mariners, and, and we ended up winning that division probably by five or six games. And so, yeah, they, they can get hot and they can roll. I I just think that the Astros – you know, here midsummer have kind of, you know, they've kind of coasted with, they've had injuries. I mean, they were injured up the middle with Altuve, Correa, and Springer. Um, and at one time, all three of them were out at the same time. So I think there was a little bit of cruise control, if you will. And I think with what they accomplished last year, you know, they're going to be ready to turn it on um, when it's time to turn it on here within the next, you know, couple of weeks and, and create some more separation. So I think, they still win the division comfortably. I think the A's uh, are definitely a team that believes, and I think others should start believing, that, that they're going to be a wild-card team and have a, a, a one-off uh, to get into a division series. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate the time. Talk to you uh, next week. All right. My pleasure. Okay. Hopefully it's a little cooler uh, on the field. You know, We could talk about something else than fighting. Exactly right. All right, Chris. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Right. Talk to you later. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Always a great guest. Uh, let's take a break here still to come. We've got questions. We've got Matthew Collar to talk Vikings. The show is Mackie and Judd Doogie in for Phil. Phil Mackie, Judd Zolgad. The decline of moral and ethical integrity. Let's hear it. Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. The TCL Broadcast Studios, Mackie and Judd right now is uh, Zolgad and Doogie. All right, give me a gopher football update as we approach the season opener for this program. Yeah, we are, what, 13 days out from the season opener. TCF Bank Stadium, Thursday night, the 30th of August, against New Mexico State. We still don't know officially who will take the first snap at quarterback in that game for the Gophers. Here, to me, is what is interesting, though. So Big Ten Network was in town yesterday. They travel around to all the Big Ten programs. They do an hour special on each team. So yesterday was Big Ten Network's Gophers Day, Dave Refson a name that a lot of people are familiar with, former ESPN guy, does great work for the Big Ten Network. On his Twitter account, he hypothesized. Now, he made it clear his opinion, but I don't think he just randomly tweeted this, that he thinks true freshman Zach Anikstead will be the starting quarterback. And he's not on scholarship right now, but he will be. He's not. He'll be eventually. Now, Okay. full disclosure, he had a Power 5 offer from Pittsburgh. 
Okay. He had one from Illinois. He had three or four Power Five offers. Mm-hmm. So, yes, if you want to call him a walk-on, yes, technically he's a walk-on for the Gophers. But he was the starting quarterback at IMG Academy in Florida. He had Power Five offers. He is a scholarship quarterback. And, yes, eventually, maybe even very soon, he'll be a scholarship quarterback for the Gophers. He had an excellent spring. If you're talking about ceiling, athleticism, upside, some of those things, I think he does trump Tanner Morgan. But I'll continue to say, and it's entirely possible that Refson absolutely knows what he's talking about. Sure. And I guess I would not be surprised if Annick said, I've told you I thought it would be Morgan, but now with this Refson information, and I'm telling you, he did not tweet that lightly. Well, yeah, and if he got it from somebody. If you spend an entire day around a program, a lot of times you'll be told, this didn't come from me, but this is what we're leaning correct, towards. But I still foresee them playing both quarterbacks. And if you look at last year, the way Kirk Scirocco runs his offense, the Gophers quarterback is going to get hit. Inevitably, might just be a minor injury, but eventually get hurt. I'm just telling you, I foresee both Zach Anikstead and Tanner Morgan getting snaps this year. Is there any reason to be excited about this season? I think there's reason for optimism for next year, for 2020. I think there's an outside chance they maybe get to six wins. I think there's a chance. I'm not dismissing that possibility. They might get to six this year. So you say for 2019? I think there's, there's I think there's. Yeah, I do. Yeah, based on the recruiting class that's coming in, this year's recruiting class, whether it's Anikstead, Morgan, one of them distinguishing himself this year, feeling confident about that guy heading into next year, yes. Based on just about the entire defense being back next year, some of these young skill position guys, don't get me wrong, they'll miss Rodney Smith next year. They will miss Jared Weiler, the starting center. They will miss left tackle Donnell Green. They will miss guys next year. But most of the defense will be back next year. Yes, I think there's legit reason for optimism. To me, what's going to be interesting is, okay, so they win four games this year or five games. How many people jump off the bandwagon and say, okay, PJ, in year two at Western Michigan, you made a big jump. You went from, what, one win to eight wins. Mm -hmm. You did that in year two. All right, we're two years in. We don't see it. We're done with you. So that, to me, is what will be interesting. But, yes, I am telling you, and I've been over there a couple times. I talked to people over there enough. I'm just telling you, there is legit reason for optimism next year in 2020. I firmly believe that they will have a chance to compete for the Big Ten West Championship. Those are lofty expectations. Whoa, 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 whoa. Next what? year in 2020. So wait, wait. So and I think Scott Frost is an excellent hire in Nebraska. You think they compete for the Big Ten I think they Western can compete division? as soon as next year, yes. Now, hey, I think Annex has got a chance to be really good. And he's worked for a while with the guys in town, the quarterback institute guys. So I've heard Play about it for a while. Play the rouser. So yeah, this might be this might be Break me being way overly optimistic. I get that. I think we call you Pollyanna. They still play. They still play. We're going to Indy. Yeah, they still play in the lesser of the two divisions. It helps to be in the West. Yep. And I get it. Wisconsin is still the class of the division. Including this year. Yep. And I'm not suggesting they are going to win the West next year or in 2020. I just think they have a fighting chance the next two years. This year, no. I don't think this will be a great year. But I'm just I'm just imploring a lot of fans that, hey, come October and November when this team has three or four wins and you're wondering, hey, you know, is Fleck the right guy? 
I do believe he's still the right guy. And even if they only win four or five games this year, I still believe he's the right guy heading into next year. And I'm just telling you, based on the guys that will be back, based on the incoming recruiting class, guys that will redshirt this year, although this new redshirt rule is interesting where you can play guys in up to four games and still maintain yeah, the redshirt. It's a great rule, actually. Yeah, so we'll get to see a lot of the guys this right. year, and they'll still maintain that redshirt year. But yep. based on the 2018 recruiting class, the 2019 commitments, I mean, the 2019 recruiting class is just about in place. They have 20-something commitments already. So based on the incoming recruiting class, the current recruiting class, and all the guys that have experience that will be back, the Carter Coughlins of the world, Antoine Winfield Jr., and other guys, Yes, I do think they will have a fighting chance to compete for the West Division Championship Woo! one year from now. Not this year. Nope. No, we so, got you. We got for you. those listening, not this year. Not, I don't think this will be a great 19. year, but next year. Murph, how are you going to trump that with your questions? Uh, I'm not going to. That's, that's fantastic. But uh, we haven't really talked Vikings yet, so we can dive into that next. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Oh. It's just what they'll be expecting us to do. On 1500 ESPN.